The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice. Contains God's plan for the family. Also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back this week and ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we do here, and I imagine most of you have been with us before, but if you're a first-time viewer, uh, that's what we do is answer viewers' questions. You'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime you want to get in touch with us, and you direct the program. You tell us what uh, you've always wondered about or something you've heard that... You just uh, you can't quite believe that's in the Bible. We'll try to find it for you. So anything that you've wondered about the Bible or uh, some topic that's on your mind in your life that you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, we'll try to find you some answers. So that's what we do here. Call in or log on and uh, tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Let me introduce the two men who study up each week and help us answer questions here. Down there's Jeff Martin. Hi, Jeff. Morning, Steve. Morning, Toby. Toby, Toby Levering in the middle here, and I'm Steve Tandy. And we are glad to be here and answer some of your questions, but we always ask one first. So here's the first question of the day, for, and it's for you viewers. Uh, John the Baptist had a little bit of an odd diet. Uh, what were two of the things that John the Baptist ate? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know a little bit of food trivia there. <laughs> Looks like Toby drew the first one, so yep. get us kicked off a here. A question about Satan. We get this question occasionally, and the question is, what does it mean that Satan is an angel of light? Okay, well, um, if you're referring to Scripture, I'll start by saying there's no Scripture that says Satan is an angel of light, but I believe you're for referring to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Let's look at that on the screen together. It reads, No wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, he's pretending, he's trying to be something that he's not, and that certainly fits how we understand Satan in the Scriptures. In the Bible... We understand that there's light and darkness from the very beginning. God said, let there be light. There's this uh, distinction between light and darkness, not just in the physical world, but also in the spiritual sense. The Bible refers to light as the, the good way, the right way, the way you should go. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's telling us that the instructions of Scripture are, uh, are the good way, the way that we should go. And so all things good from God are on the side of light. All things evil are from darkness. And what this is simply, this Scripture is saying is that Satan is a pretender. <laughs> he tries to take what is evil and make it appear as though it were good. He tries to take, even back in the garden, he tried to take what God God said not to do and make it appear like God was restricting them or that he was deceiving them in some way. And so this is what Satan has always done, uh, masquerading as an angel of light. Now, the idea of Satan being an angel, well, this is a, 
Scripture doesn't give us a lot of insight into this, but we think that Satan was a an angel at some point. A angel simply means servant, and that he fell, that he rebelled, that he disobeyed God, and then he continued to do so, and God punished him for that. But in in some way, he still has the capabilities of an angel, and he will try to appear as an angel of light. He will try to represent himself as as one who represents what's good, as one who who stands up for what God wants. And so the the short of that is that Satan is a deceiver, and that's what that scripture is referring to. So I hope that helps you. All right. I got a question about uh, heaven and marriage and husbands and wives here. Viewer says, where does it say that husbands and wives will know each other in heaven, but won't know that they are married? All right. Well, that would be kind of a confusing situation. Uh, and fortunately, it's not in the Bible exactly. Our, our viewers got two notions uh, of what the Bible says and has kind of put them together here. So let's take them one at a time. First part of the question said that husbands and wives will know each other in heaven. Uh, we actually don't have a direct statement about what we'll know and understand in heaven, except we'll understand everything. But uh, how much we remember of this earth and all that, we're really not told. Uh, I'm sure that we're going to recognize each other and we'll have full knowledge and, and all that, but the Bible doesn't directly say so. There's plenty of clues that uh, we'll know each other in heaven. Uh, so let's assume that we're going to know each other in heaven. Now, the second part of the question is husbands and wives won't know that they're married. Okay, that's not definitely not in the Bible, but there is one statement by Jesus that probably led our viewer to that conclusion. So let's see what he said in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30. He was talking to the Pharisees and he said, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So uh, you read the context and the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So they'd made up a story about uh, some woman that had been married seven times and said, okay, Jesus, if there's going to be a resurrection, who's she going to be married to in heaven? And Jesus said, you don't understand. Uh, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Okay. So all he said was that the institution of marriage uh, is not going to happen in heaven. And that makes perfect sense. Marriage is a earthly thing. Uh, that we needed for a couple of reasons. Number one, it completes man and woman, uh, makes one out of two. And secondly, it was for procreation, uh, to replenish the earth. So neither of those are going to be needed in heaven. We're going to be fully fulfilled and we don't need to procreate. So there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Now, I think there'll still be relationships. I think God's going to work all that out. Uh, you've been married to somebody over 50 years, uh, I think you're going to have a special relationship with that person in heaven, but you're not going to go to any weddings in heaven. You're not going to need marriage up there. So uh, that's what the Bible says about it. Our viewers kind of put those two together and got a little confused there. Uh, I think we'll know each other, but we're just not going to have any uh, 
weddings or marriages going on in heaven. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Makes sense. Yep, I've got one that a lot of people are asking these days. It says, the Old Testament says, man shall not lie with a man. Is this still a sin? And of course, in this case, what the viewer is talking about is homosexuality. So that's how I'll answer the question. Uh, the viewer is correct. The Old Testament does forbid this. So let's look at that verse first. It's in Leviticus 18.22. It says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman that is detestable. Uh, so a very direct verse there, very direct description from Leviticus. But I'm guessing that what the viewer wants to know is what does the New Testament say about this? Because the question is, is this still a sin? Uh, and for that, we can go to a verse in the, the New Testament that is just as direct, uh, which is 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Let's read that together. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So this is an interesting question because um, a while ago, 20 years ago, this question would have never been asked in Christian circles. The belief that homosexuality is a sin, uh, biblically speaking, has been agreed upon unanimously by Christians up until around 20 years ago. And if you were to, if you were to Google this question now, you would find pages and pages and pages of studies and people trying to work to get around these verses and make it okay for Christians to accept and not only accept, but to participate in same-sex relationships. Uh, one of the words, there's a Greek word called arsenokotai that you can find a lot written on, and they are working very hard to change the definition of, of this word. And it's a definition that's been the same for thousands of years. Uh, like Toby said earlier, one of the, the first ways that Satan was able to tempt us was by asking the question, did God really say that? Uh, and our modern world takes part in asking that question a lot, especially when it comes to questions about same-sex attraction. Um, not everybody has willingly decided to follow God. But if you have willingly decided to follow God, then you have to keep His commandments. And we are called not only to do that, but to deny what our flesh craves and to submit to God. Obviously, there's a lot more to say on this subject, but to answer the viewer's question very simply, very directly, and very biblically, yes, uh, what we call homosexuality or same-sex attraction is still a sin. All righty. Thank you, Jeff. Let me take this moment to talk about ways to study the Bible. We enjoy answering a few questions each week, but uh, we also advocate you study the Bible on your own. And we know that's easy for some people and hard for some people. So we've got some uh, tools that we're happy to offer you. We've got a set of uh, Bible correspondence courses because they'll come to you in the mail. There's eight lessons here you see on the screen and just a good basic overview of the Bible. Uh, you'll understand a lot more about your Bible and what the uh, uh, overall meaning of it is when you're done with this course. Then once you get through that, we'll get you a certificate, and then we've got some other courses that we're happy to share with you, and you can study for a long time, and you'll notice uh, you'll always get a stamped addressed envelope, so you don't even have to buy a stamp. Uh, we pay for everything, and absolutely no fee for this course. We just want you to study the Bible, and we think these are some great ways to do it. 
We've also got some online courses that are a great way to study. If you don't want to wait for the mail or you're not into paper so much anymore, you can go paperless. So if you'd like to study uh, on your phone or tablet, uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, you, they'll get you fixed up with uh, some online courses and you can study anytime, anywhere you want. So all of them are great ways to study the Bible. We're happy to share those with you. There's a phone number and a website on the screen uh, if you want the print version or just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org if you like the online version. We'll get you started studying the Bible. We think you'll enjoy it. All right, Toby, got a tough question here. Yeah, a tough here. question. A, a viewer asked, is there a reason that children die of cancer, etc., like David's child died because of his affair? Uh, well, to answer that question directly, um, the, first of all, the, the situation that you described with uh, King David and his uh, son that was born and that would die shortly thereafter, uh, that was a specific situation, and that does not is not a specific situation that you take and apply toward everyone. In other words, every time you see a sick child, every time there's a tragic loss, uh, the Bible is not saying uh, that that is the result of someone's sin. Uh, some people take uh, that view. They have a theology, I believe it's called... Um, retribution theology, or uh, that may not be the correct term, but it's that idea that all suffering is the result of specific sin, um, and that the Bible just doesn't give us that indication. Now, I will say that the world we live in today is not the world that God had in mind when he created it. Those two worlds are far different. The, God, the world that God created is perfect and good, and uh, it was the ideal uh, situation for man to live in, uh, not just physically, but spiritually, to be in relationship with God. And sin absolutely destroyed all of that, uh, both in the physical sense and in the spiritual sense. The world changed uh, in every possible way you could imagine. So one of the ways in which it's changed, sin has consequences. Sin has short-term consequences, long-term consequences. And when we talk about the world being a very different place than what God intended for it to be, that's one of the long-term consequences. So uh, there is no, uh, if in those tragic situations when little kids die of cancer, uh, there is not, and, and I would encourage you please to to not uh, get pulled into the way of thinking, well, somebody must have messed up here. Uh, there's a story in John chapter 9 uh, of, a, of a man who was born blind. And everyone around him said, well, surely his parents or somebody had to have really messed up for, for this man to, to be punished in this way. And Jesus said something interesting. He said in John 9, verse 9, I think, uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this was done so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And, of course, Jesus went on to heal him. So that gives us an insight that not all suffering is the direct result of, of someone being paid back for something wrong that they did. So we just don't know all of the reasons that uh, things happen in this whole world, except this whole world was not what God intended it to be. It is a tough situation. Um, the good news is... Uh, in the tragedy with little children and, and things, we can trust and know that little children are absolutely spiritually safe in the arms of God. And if they leave this world prematurely, 
uh, we can take hope in the promise that uh, they are received into the hands of Jesus on the other side. So uh, that's good news, and it reminds us of a promise, Revelation chapter 21, uh, that when you're with God, it's very different. He says, uh, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Uh, these are hardships of living in this world, but the scripture reminds us that they are temporary, and so we have hope in Jesus, and for those that leave prematurely in these tragic situations, uh, they can have hope too. Hope that uh, gives you some comfort. All right. Got a couple of statements here. Don't really have a question, but the first statement is you said miracles only happened in the first century. Second statement, I think miracles still happen today. All right, my answer to that is no and yes. Uh, the first one, no, I didn't say that. Uh, if I did, it was a slip of the tongue someday, but I, I did not say miracles only happened in the first century. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Second part, I still believe miracles today, our viewer says. Yes, I agree with you. I think miracles still happen today. All right, let's un unwrap that and see what we can learn. Uh, what we do say and believe here on Know Your Bible is that the uh, miraculous power to do miracles was given to certain people in the first century. Uh, it was a very special time in history. The church was just beginning, and they didn't have a New Testament written down yet. Uh, they just had the word of witnesses that this fellow named Jesus uh, had died and came back to life on the third day, and he was the uh, payment for our sins, and he was the promised Messiah and all that. And the apostles and others went out telling that story. Well, they had no proof other than their word for it. Uh, so God empowered certain people to be able to do miracles, to be able to heal a person, be able to raise the dead, be able to uh, do all sorts of things. And that would confirm that they were speaking for God. Uh, for instance, when I tell you something today on this program, uh, you don't have to believe me. If you say, I don't believe you, well, I'll tell you where to turn in the Bible, and hopefully that'll help convince you that I'm speaking for God. Now, if I didn't have the Bible to turn you to, like the apostles in the first century, uh, think about it, how helpful it would be if when you got to a new town, uh, you could heal the cripple at the gate that everybody knew had been crippled all his life. Uh, that would kind of <laughs> assure people that you were speaking for God, wouldn't it? So that's what happened in the first century. As people were given the power to do miracles through their word, through their touch, through their uh, intercession, and all that, that happened for a number of years there in the first century. And then Paul said those were going to go away. Those gifts were going to stop. So when we say miracles happened in the first century, we're talking about that miraculous power to do miracles. Now, we don't believe men are given that power today. Uh, people that claim today to have the miraculous power of healing, uh, they should go to the hospitals and go to work, but they don't. 
so we don't believe that gift exists today. Now, miracles we believe happen today. Uh, God still can do anything he wants. He still does miraculous things. That's why we pray for miracles. Uh, when somebody in our church body uh, gets a diagnosis from a doctor that is a death sentence, uh, we don't just give up and say, okay, that's it. Uh, we ask God to change things, and we've seen him change things. So, yes, we believe miracles happen today also. Now, let me read you one scripture that points out or illustrates what I've been saying here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 is interesting. The writer of Hebrews is talking about our salvation, and he says, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us, by those who heard him. And God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Okay, so that's just what I said. The salvation was announced by the Lord and then confirmed by those who heard him, and God testified to it. He helped them confirm it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now notice those are all past tense words. <laughs> the Lord confirmed to us and God testified. When the writer of Hebrews wrote this, uh, God had stopped doing that. They weren't, uh, miracles weren't around anymore in the sense of people given that miraculous power. That already happened. All right. So, that's, uh, that's what happened. That's the difference between miraculous powers and miracles. God still does miracles. All right, Jeff, I think. Yep, got one uh, about men having long hair. Is it wrong for men to have long hair? Uh, so let's look first at the verse that I'm assuming this comes from, which is 1 Corinthians 11:14. It says, Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, is it, it is a disgrace for him? Uh, so if we look at that by itself, it would seem that the New Testament is condemning having long hair. Uh, but if we look at the context surrounding the verse, if we look what Paul was trying to do with this set of verses, we see that it has much more to do than the cultural gender roles of that day than it does about long hair. Paul is urging the church to conform to the generally held ideas of male and female appearance. Uh, he also talks about females wearing veils and head coverings and men not wearing head coverings in these verses. And he's pointing out, saying that by nature itself, that there are some biological differences in men and women, including how we grow hair. And so um, if we fast forward this now to the time uh, that we are in, we have different rules about gender. Now, those rules are changing very rapidly, uh, but as far as following God and, and in Christian circles, we know what a man looks like and what a woman looks like, and also that there are different roles for men and for women. And so we are still to adhere to those rules. Now, the symbols have changed, um, but the sentiment is still the same. So to answer the question directly, I don't think it's wrong for men to have long hair, but women should look and act like women, and men should look and act like men, and those are two different things. Okay. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Jeff. There, there are things like that that 
are so cultural that God just didn't put hard and fast rules in there. Mm-hmm. He didn't say men's hair should not go over their ears or <laughs> not below their collar or yeah. anything like that. He did, culture's different. I mean, yes. they, they, men wore powdered wigs for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they were long. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he understands that culture change, but like you said, you still ought to be able to say, okay, that's a man and that's a woman. <laughs> I, I can tell the difference. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. The Churches of Christ provide this program for you, and we produce it. And uh, we like to mention some of our supporters each week. Uh, if you live up in the Quad Cities area, up in the Iowa, Illinois area, uh, here's three of the congregations that help keep us on the air, Sterling, Illinois, and Moline, Illinois, and Muscatine, Iowa. Great bunches of folks at each of those uh, congregations of the Church of Christ. Got the address there. If you live close to one of those and are looking for a church home, uh, drop in and see them. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Whatever market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you, and we invite you to visit us sometime. All right, Bible question, Toby. Bible question, and this is an interesting one. The question is, which Bible do you use? Uh, The questioner states that uh, they are Catholic. So, uh, well... um, so if you're if you're new to the Bible or you don't maybe understand the nature of the question, there are basically two different kinds of Bibles depending on if you're Catholic or Protestant. We can actually show the difference uh, between those two uh, on the screen. <clears throat> um, the Catholic Bible has a total of 73 books. There's an additional seven books uh, found in the Old Testament. We call those books the Apocrypha. Uh, there's a little more text in the books of Esther and Daniel, which are in the Protestant, uh, in the Old Testament books uh, on the Protestant side. So there's a difference in the number of books and the quantity of text. Uh, the Catholic ver- uh, Bible is called also called the New American Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, and the New Jerusalem Bible. Of course, on this program, we use the uh, Protestant English translations, you would call it the, on the Protestant side, the ones that have 66 books, and the, uh, they do not include the Apocrypha. And so the Apocrypha is, a, is an interesting subject. Um, why do we not include what we call the Apocryphal books? Uh, well, that debate goes back a long time, but uh, in, in summation, basically, uh, there's some inaccuracies within them, historical inaccuracies. And so because they're inaccurate, we believe they're, they're fallible and therefore not inspired word of God. And there's a lot of people who are on this side, on this view of it about what we call the apocryphal books. Uh, there was a lot of debate in the early church, uh, and the majority of the early church fathers rejected the apocrypha. In fact, Jerome, who was the translator on the Latin Vulgate, which is uh, where we get the officially, pretty much the officially sanctioned uh, Catholic Bible, uh, he was against including the apocrypha, but only did so under a lot of basically political pressure. So, um, it's not included. We have reasons for that. Uh, and if you are a Catholic viewer and you're using those translations, you'll, you'll see that we don't refer to them because we don't take them as the inspired scripture. So I uh, hope that clarifies the difference. There's much more to say on it, but uh, hopefully that will uh, give you some of the explanation of the difference. All right. A little different kind of question here. A viewer wants to know, do you really believe a donkey spoke to Balaam. Well, that's a funny story in the Old Testament. It's kind of an interesting story. And a lot of people would like to say, well, that's just a myth. Uh, that's a 
fairy tale of some sort. It's more like Winnie the Pooh than it is God speaking. Uh, and the goal of that is to get you to question a lot of things the Bible says. Uh, do I really believe that? Well, the Bible says it happened, so I believe it. Uh, well, you say, that's just too hard for me to believe. Uh, that's not hard to believe at all. Uh, if you believe the biggest miracle, that uh, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, a donkey talking is pretty easy. Uh, God spoke through the donkey. God spoke through a burning bush one time. So God's voice, he can uh, put wherever he wants. So, yes, I believe that story. Trivia question for the day. Where were the two items? What were two items in the diet of John the Baptist? Old John ate locust and wild honey. Matthew 3, 4 tells us that. We're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week and answer some more questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.